Welcome to the Cornerstone Truth New Creation Podcast. Each week we'll explore fundamental truths about the genuine love of Christ being manifest through His people, the Church. During these studies, we will discover that the sincere love of Christ flows from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. This is the goal of our instruction, and we are so thankful you're listening today. All right, so today's lesson is entitled, uh, The Power of His Presence, the Mystery, the Riches, and uh, His Power. And this is really a, a summary of the last five lessons that we've done since uh, Resurrection Day on, on uh, April 12th. And it's so important for us to understand these things as they work together. But let's begin with the power of his presence. Let's turn to the book of Acts in chapter 3 and verse 19. We've talked a lot about the power of his presence, being in his presence, seated with him in the heavenly places. But I also want to take a look at the power of his presence, his spirit within, and what the spirit within is doing in us and for us and through us. And so in Acts chapter 3 and beginning in verse 19, Peter says this after he finishes up the second gospel sermon he ever preached. Therefore repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Times of refreshing are going to come from the presence of the Lord. And that word refreshing, if you go and you do a little bit more digging in the Greek, that word refreshing actually means to be restored, a, a restoration of uh, what God intended us to be. And of course, you know that sin mars and destroys. And so when we become Christians, our sins are washed away and we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And then the Spirit can powerfully work within us. Just as you remember in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14, where the Apostle Paul clearly teaches that we were saved through the gospel that we might enjoy and be filled with the riches of Christ's glory. But the Spirit, he says, was given to us so that he might sanctify us, make us holy and blameless, and empower us to live just like Jesus Christ. And so this refreshing of the Holy Spirit is what we're talking about this morning. And so to summarize and to package all of the lessons that we have done so far, let's turn to the book of Ephesians and chapter 3. Ephesians and chapter 3, where in fact we hear about the mystery that we've spoken of. We hear about the riches of God's glory that we taught, and also to the to us uh, through the indwelling presence of God's Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to bring some additional scriptures to bear this morning and uh, package this for you so that we have a working understanding of the power of God working in us. And so Ephesians and chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read the whole chapter this morning, and uh, there are actually three sections, the mystery, the riches, and the power spoken of in this chapter. Here we go. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace 
which was given to me for you, that by revelation was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. And in referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it, the mystery, has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, this is what the mystery is. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body of Christ and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which God carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom or in Christ we have boldness and confident access through the faith of him or through the faith of Christ. Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. Now, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power, dunamis, like we talked about last week, through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And so we're going to be talking about the mystery of Christ, uh, the mystery of the gospel of Christ this morning, briefly. And uh, although we've not talked extensively about the mystery during this series, there are some very specific truths about the mystery of Christ that I want you to know and understand. The, the second thing that we're going to look at this morning is the riches of Christ's glory. And as again, as I shared with you a couple weeks ago, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14, that, that through the gospel, we are granted or given the riches uh, of Christ Jesus. And of course, you know, when we obey the gospel, our sins are forgiven and we receive the Holy Spirit. And so the riches of his glory come through the indwelling presence of Christ in us. And the last thing I want to talk about this morning is, is why the power? Why are we given the power of God? There are really two reasons 
why we are given the power of God. And I want you to embrace those and understand that all the power that was used to create the universe and all the power that was used to create the church, the new creation of God, all of this power is available to us to live like and for him. And so that's what we're going to work on in the closing uh, verse before we have the Lord's Supper. So let's go ahead and jump right in and take a look at the first uh, part of the lesson this morning, part number one, the mystery possessing his spirit within. You see, the, the lesson plan says, our union with Christ through his indwelling spirit. You know, I love the passage of scripture in the book of Ephesians in, in, uh, uh, where it talks about, uh, the marriage of a man and a woman. And at the very end of that passage, uh, Paul says, this mystery is great about how a man and a woman can become one flesh. He is, the, he says, this mystery is great, but I'm speaking in reference to Christ and the church. How, how Christ fills our body and we become one flesh with Christ and, and we become the body, the physical representation of Christ. That's a mystery and it comes through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And so my first point this morning is this very truth. The mystery is Christ in your body, Christ in you, the hope or confident expectation of his glory. And that's found in Colossians chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. And we've read that before, and I have it down in the, in the, the note sheets, Colossians and chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That is what the mystery is, and we receive Christ in us through the mystery of the gospel, which is, of course, believing the gospel and obeying the gospel in immersion. But I want to look at a second point here in regards to the mystery. The mystery was kept a secret from past ages and generations until the preaching of the gospel on the day of Pentecost. Now, the reason that God kept the, the mystery, the idea of Christ filling every human soul of those who are faithful and obedient to him, was to protect that truth until such time God could create a people, develop a people that would receive him. And so when we look to the history of Israel, we see God preparing the hearts and the minds of his people to receive him. And then he offers that gospel to the Gentiles. And so if you want to take a look at a couple passages of scriptures, let's look at Ephesians and uh, chapter 3, verses 4, 5, and 6. Notice what it says here about the mystery. He says here in verse 4, by reference, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it, the mystery, has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body of Christ and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Notice it says that those the, the mystery was hidden from past generations uh, so that it would be revealed by his holy apostles and prophets. 
Peter was the first one to preach the gospel on the day of Pentecost, and he opened up what the mystery was. And we'll look at that in just a moment. But I'll share with you, if you do a study on the mystery, five times, five times, it says that the mystery was hidden from past generations, that the mystery was actually hidden from the foundation of the world. In other words, the mystery, the gospel, the good news that Christ would indwell you and empower you and give you all the riches that he possesses was actually created and planned and designed before the creation of the world. And so the church was on his heart and his mind. And the good news of salvation was on his heart and his mind when he created the world. And so we can work with him now to achieve his eternal purpose. Well, let's look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 36. Here's where the first gospel sermon was preached. And Peter closes his gospel sermon with a great statement, a very powerful statement. If you're going to conclude a statement, you want to call people to action. And that's exactly what uh, the Apostle Peter does here in Acts and chapter 2 and verse 36, reminding, reminding you that this is the last statement he makes before the people listening ask a very important question. Here's what Peter says. Now, when they heard this, excuse me, verse 36, therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Very personal in his statement there to the crowd. And look at what they say in verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call to himself. Now notice, he says in a, in a verse just a little bit later, he says, be saved from this perverse generation. And those who received us were, were baptized. And there were out of that day about 3,000 souls to the church, to the body of Christ. You see, we need to recognize and understand that's the first time that the mystery had really been revealed clearly, just as we see the mystery clearly revealed by the Apostle Paul in Colossians 1 in verse 26 and 27. The mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And finally, the last thing I want you to take a look at in regards to the mystery, go back with me to the book of Ephesians. In the book of Ephesians and uh, chapter 3, take a look at what he says here about the administration of the mystery. The administration of the mystery. Literally, how this mystery is going to work in our lives. And so Ephesians in chapter 3 and beginning in verse 8, Paul says to me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and, here we go, and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. So that the manifold wisdom, I believe the manifold wisdom are the riches of glory, but 
but that's another lesson. So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice in verse 9, and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery. That's also spoken of over in the book of Ephesians chapter 1. And in verse 7, it says, um, in excuse me, verse 8, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he proposed in Christ, with a view to the administration suitable to the fullness of times. So notice, the mystery has an administration. Now, I want you to do your own homework on this one, but the word administration actually means house law or the standard of conduct. And so in light of Mother's Day, I would like to share with you that my mother, bless her heart, she's gone on, uh, she's passed away. But uh, the interesting thing is, is my mother had some very specific house rules, how you were supposed to live your life. Well, the beauty of the administration of the mystery is Christ in you empowers you so that you might live like him and for him. And so this administration of the mystery is really what Christ is able to do in you and I. And that leads us right into point number two. Take a look at point number two. Point number two is titled, His Riches, Passing or Possessing His Glorious Character Within. The riches of glory is manifest character in us. You know, the riches of Christ's glory, my first point here under point number two is the riches of Christ's glory are made known to the church and then they are made known through the church to everyone else and even those in the heavenly places. Let me say that again. The, the riches of Christ's glory that come through the mystery, the riches of Christ's glory are made known first to the church, and that's what we're doing today, and then they're made known through the church so that peoples everywhere and those in the heavenly places might come to know the character of Christ Jesus, the character of God, which draws all men unto God, which calls all creation unto God. Take a look at uh, 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 Colossians chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. Colossians 1, verse 26 and 27. Again, speaking of the mystery, but in context, the riches of Christ's glory. And I want to read verse 26 and 27. Colossians 1, verse 26 and 27. The mystery which has been hidden from ages past and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God to will to make known, to the saints God will to make known, what is the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Notice, God wants us to know the riches of his glory that come through the mystery. But I want you to go back now with me to the book of Ephesians and chapter 3. And let's take a look once again uh, in regards to the, the mystery and the uh, unfathomable riches 
of Christ. Paul says here in Ephesians 3 and verse 8, to me the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ, the riches of his glory, and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, that is the the uh, riches of glory being manifest through us in our conduct. And so I'm going to invite you to do a little uh, homework on your own. The riches of his glory are his manifest character in us to the world, his manifest character in us to all those in the heavenly places. And I want you to look up what are the riches of his glory. I want you to go back and do a little Bible study on your own in the book of Exodus in chapter 33, beginning in verse 12. And Moses asked this question, Lord, show me your glory. And then God says, yes, I'll show you my glory. And he actually defines what his glory is in Exodus in chapter 34. As his glory passes before Moses, Moses hears the Lord God say, the Lord, the Lord God, and the first uh, uh, facet of his glory is compassion. That's very interesting. Because if we go back now to the book of Ephesians and chapter 4, we actually see right after he talks about the, the manifestation of his glory and the power of that manifestation, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul makes this statement. Listen to this statement. He says here in verse uh, chapter 4, verse 1 and through 3, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, Remember, he called you through the gospel to the glory of Christ Jesus. That's what it says in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 13 and 14. I, the prisoner of the Lord, employ you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Notice, we now have the power to put self aside and pride. We now have the power to be gentle. We have the power to be patient, long-suffering. We have the power to, to, to put up with and tolerate. We have the power to love like Jesus Christ. In fact, look at Ephesians 5, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. We can love like Jesus loved. I want to close this last, this one point, point number two, with the book of Colossians in chapter three, beginning in verse 12. As beloved children, we can love like Jesus Christ loved. As beloved children of God, we can be gentle and forbearing like Christ. But notice what it says here. We must understand that we possess all the facets of God's glory through his Holy Spirit, but we must adorn our lives. We must, we must manifest that in our conduct, these great facets of God's glory that we have been given through the Spirit. Look at Colossians 3, verse 12 and following. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, that's the first character quality of glory that's spoken of in regards to God's glory in Exodus. Reading on, it says, 
Put on, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, the love of Christ, which is the perfect bond of unity. You see, we have the power through Christ Jesus dwelling in us to manifest those character qualities. And you know what really moves people to want to know about the Lord? Is when you are gentle and kind, when you are loving and compassionate. Let me prove that to you. Turn with me to the book of Romans in chapter 2. Listen to what Paul says the riches of his glory are that draw us to God. These are what drew you and I to God, and it's what will draw other people to God. But we're his ambassadors. We're the embodiment of Christ. We're to call people out of darkness into his marvelous light. Take a look at what Paul says here in the book of Romans in chapter 2, particularly verse 4. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience? not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. The kindness and the tolerance and the patience and the love of God is what draws a person to Christ. Where, where are people going to see these great character qualities of Christ? Christ is seated in the heavenly places. We are here right now, but we've been united with him through the gospel. You know that we've been raised up and seated with him in the heavenly places. You know that the fullness of deity dwells in our bodies through the spirit of Christ. We're the ones now that are called to manifest his glory. We're the ones that are called to draw people unto him through our love and our compassion and our gentleness and our patience and our kindness. Brethren, this riches of glory is so important we are not going to fulfill his eternal purpose for us if we do not manifest these riches of glory. His eternal purpose is that every being, both in heaven and on earth, would recognize he is Lord of Lord and King of Kings, that he alone is sovereign, that he alone is perfectly just, that he alone is perfectly loving, and that all knees should bow and confess that he is Lord. The only way that's going to happen is if we will manifest these great riches of glory. Now, we have the power to do that. We have the power to overcome self. We have the power to put self down and to put Jesus Christ on the throne of our hearts. We have the power to do this very thing. Most people believe that human beings by nature are selfish. And I would have to agree. Once a person has fallen into sin, sin continues to destroy and grow like a cancer as they die in their sins and their trespasses. But we were raised up out of those things. He bore all of our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. We can live righteously because we have the power to do so now. So let's take a look at this last point. The deutimus, the power. And what is the purpose of this power? We possess his power to fulfill his eternal purpose. Point number three, his power possessing his strength within. And again, through the Holy Spirit. So the first thing I want to share here is this. We are filled with the power of God through Christ's Spirit to walk in Christ's 
likeness. We can walk even as Christ walked in our mortal flesh. Turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians in chapter 4. In 2 Corinthians in chapter 4, we spoke of this last week, but I want to, to refresh your memory. In 2 Corinthians in chapter 4, and I would encourage you uh, to read all of, of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 4, and 5. Very powerful. But particularly 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7. And then we're going to jump a few verses down. Here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7, it says, But we have this treasure, we have these riches in earthen vessels. We have the riches of God in our bodies. Why? So that the surpassing greatness of the power, the dudamus, will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed perplexed but not despairing, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. Get Now listen now. Always caring about in the body, our bodies, the dying of Jesus, dying to sin, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake. Why? so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. The life of Jesus Christ manifested in our mortal flesh. The power of the treasure within empowers us to live the life of Jesus Christ. You know, when people see Jesus in you, they're drawn to you. Now, many of you may not know this, but we have a very special sister in Christ in Minsk, uh, Belarus. Her name is Anne, uh, formerly Shlokovich, and I can't pronounce her married name, let alone her uh, maiden name. But Anne, if you're listening this morning, so thankful for you. And here's what Anne and I Bible studied this last Tuesday. It was so exciting. I said, okay, Anne, do you want to continue in our normal studies or do you have something that, that you'd like to take a look at? And she goes, oh, Bill, I my classmate in the university has asked me why I never get angry. Why am I always peaceful? Why why am I always joyful? And she goes, I want to know why. Notice what drew that Belarusian woman who does not know God. In fact, she has no church background whatsoever. What drew her to ask the question? She saw hope in Anne's life. She saw a gentleness in Anne's life. She saw a joy in Anne's life that she had not seen anywhere. And so when Anne said that she was a Christian and that she'd be willing to help her to know how, Karen is this young woman's name. So you want to pray for Karen. And I'm not sure how you say Karen in Russian, but uh, Karen, Anne's um, university um, classmate wants to know about Christ. How did she see it? She saw it in the life of Anne and her gentleness and kindness. So too, you and I can do the very same thing. You see, Anne's not this big preacher. Anne is not an evangelist. Anne is like you and I, just normal common folk empowered by the Holy Spirit. I'm so thankful for her. 
Thank you, Anne, for that great example. Let's Jesus Christ. Finally, why has he given us this power? It's because Satan hates us. Because we're in a war and Satan wants to destroy us. And Satan is going to use everything in his power to discourage us, to deceive us, and to destroy us. Tribulations, and he's going to use trials, and he's going to use temptations, and he's going to use people hating us for who we are and what we believe. And we need to have power to remain faithful to God. Take a look at 2 Timothy and chapter 1. 2 Timothy in chapter 1, and we're going to read a couple uh, passages of Scripture from 2 Timothy to close. 2 Timothy, and in chapter 1, we see Paul um, encouraging the young man Timothy. Take a look at verse 7. Paul says to the young man Timothy, he says, For God has not given us a spirit of but a spirit of power, dudamus, and love, a spirit of love, being able to love like Jesus Christ, and a spirit of self-discipline, a spirit of, of, of good judgment and self-discipline, self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join me in suffering for the gospel. Paul was suffering terribly because he was preaching the gospel. He was living the life and he was being uh, you know, persecuted horribly. And some of you know, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 speaks about how horrible the persecutions uh, became for the Apostle Paul. He says here, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power deutimus of God. The power of us to power through all these sufferings. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our work, according to his own purpose and grace which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. You see, if you stand up for for Christ and you begin to live the life of Christ and you begin to share your convictions of faith, well, Paul said, anyone who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so when you stand up, there challenges in your life. Don't freak out. Peter said, you know, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeals among you. Some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, so rejoice in him. Again, the power of the Spirit to rejoice. That's why uh, Paul says that we need to rejoice always and everything give thanks. Brethren, it's important for us to recognize then that the mystery is Christ in you. And Christ in you grants you all the riches of Christ, all the riches of his character. And then we have the power to actually show and manifest that character to the world. And by that, we are able to draw all men unto him. That's his eternal purpose. His eternal purpose was to plant his spirit in us that we would live lives like him, that not only would we be saved, but we would draw all men unto him. Because remember what Jesus said, unless I be raised up, all men then would be drawn unto him. We've been raised up with him, with him, seated in the heavenly places, empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
Now we need to know that it's our job, it's our responsibility to go forth and live the life of Christ. There's so much more to be shared, and that's why we're going to continue to study the power of his presence, both our presence in him and his presence in us. Now let's turn our attention to the Lord's Supper. The reason the first century church gathered together on the first day of the week was to remember the sacrifice of Christ. You know, we just read in the book of Ephesians chapter 5 that as beloved children, we're supposed to walk in love just as Christ loved. And that, that love of Christ is manifest in sacrifice for those who are not yet his and for those who are his. And so it's important for us to recognize the sacrifice of Christ allows us then to live like him and for him. Would you turn with me to the book of Hebrews and chapter 10? It's by the sacrifice of Christ that we have life. It's by the sacrifice of Christ that we are seated with him in the heavenly places. It's by the sacrifice of Christ that we are able to encourage one another We may be hurting inside, but we still have the power, as Christ did, to encourage one another. We think about the last two days of Christ's life, brutally beaten, and uh, then, of course, murdered through crucifixion. If you go back and look at that, he was constantly focused on the needs of others. He never was focused on his pain and his suffering. He was focusing on the pain and suffering of others. And so we too need to be those same kinds of people, just like Jesus Christ. So let's read this and recognize as we partake today that we're remembering what he did, but we need to remember what we're supposed to do in like manner. The book of Hebrews in chapter 10, beginning in verse 19. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Notice it says that we're supposed to hold on to the confession of our faith. We believe that Jesus Christ bore all the sins in his body of the world and the cross, and he suffered so that sinners might be saved. And so in like manner, if we're going to help people outside of Christ become Christians, we need to be willing to sacrifice self. And that's what the Lord's Supper actually represents. The sacrifice of Christ. He choosing to sacrifice himself for us. The question is, is we'll remember this sacrifice in the coming days this week. Will we sacrifice ourselves to draw others to Christ Jesus? Or did he die in vain? Remember, we're supposed to spur one another on towards love and good deeds, and all the more as we see the day of his return drawing near. 
And we are able to draw near to him at any moment through the sacrifice, as it says in 1 John. And so at this time during the week, it's a very special time set aside that we would remember once again the horrors of the sacrifice of Christ and being willing to lay our lives down in like manner for others. Let's let's pray about these things as we partake of the uh, unleavened bread and the grape juice. Holy Father, we know that your unleavened the unleavened bread here represents the, the holy and blameless life of your Son, lived every moment in love for us, lived perfectly so that he could become a propitiatory sacrifice, one in which he would pay for our sins and give us his holy and blameless life. And also the blood the grape juice represents the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to remember that he was willing to give his life a sacrifice so that we might live with you and for you forever. Fathers, we partake now. Help us to remember and carry this remembrance throughout the week. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Once again, I appreciate you all joining in and... Uh, Again, for those who are local, if you'd be looking for the, the letter uh, that I sent out to the congregation, and uh, we'll continue our uh, Facebook Live uh, studies, um, uh, assemblies, at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings. And so, uh, hope to see you here uh, next week. Have a great, uh, great week, and uh, Lord willing, we'll see you on Wednesday night as we continue our study on God and government. Again, thank you very much. Take care, brethren. God bless. Thanks once again for listening. To download today's lesson plan or find out more about Cornerstone Truth Podcast and our church, please go to www.cornerstonetruth.org or email us at thecornerstonetruth at gmail.com. Have a blessed week.